God through the culture that we live in. And, uh, and sadly, instead of moving forward, I think that we're moving backwards. And we, and we, we see him more and more as a mythological God. And that affects us too. We too are affected by that syndrome of a mythological God. What do I mean by a mythological God? Is that um, God is, um, is here but is not here. And, um, and that he is out there somewhere. I'd like to look at this idea and, um, and as we... Today's uh, topic will be, where is he? Where is God? And I've, I've got there. Uh, can we go to the next slide, please, Stevie? Thank you. So, where is God? Next one. Thank you. And uh, when we deal with these, we can look at these in several different ways. I can look at that in a rhetorical way. And uh, Philip Yancey has done that uh, better than me. And he wrote a book, Where is God When It Hurts? And he's done a very, very good job. He deals with it and he mainly goes to places like Auschwitz where people have questioned God. God, where are you? If you are, why aren't you here? Why aren't you doing something about this? Now, I don't want to go into that because I think that he's done a much better job than me. I could also look at it in a, in a philosophical way. And Friedrich uh, Nietzsche wrote about uh, the madman. I just want to read you a little bit of an excerpt from uh, that, uh, um, that parable. And it's, it's quite challenging. And, and I, I hope that is perhaps not too challenging for some of us. And he wrote, Have you not heard of the madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours, ran to the marketplace and cried incessantly, I seek God, I seek God. As many of those who did not believe in God were standing around them, and he provoked them to much laughter. Has he got lost? asked one. Did he lose his way like a child? asked another. Or is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage? Has he emigrated? Thus they yelled and laughed. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Where is God, he cried. I will tell you, we have killed him. You and I, all of us, are his murderers. And then he goes to say, and it gets probably worse, but he goes to say that the madman goes to the different churches with his lantern and he just sees nothing but monuments. And we could, we could tackle this in a monumental, in, in, a, in a philosophical way about where is God. We could look at it in a theological way, which it would be perhaps uh, that he knows everything and that he's uh, everywhere and I could just sit down and you'll be disappointed, I'll be disappointed with, the, with just the, uh, how cheap we could treat that. We could look at him in a cosmogeographic way. So where could I find him? Where is he? Is he in some kind of church? Should I go to some religion looking for him? And uh, I remember my grandmother. She would say, uh, I, I was a teenager. I wanted to go to something like the equivalent of a pub. And she said, I don't think that Jesus would be there. You know, um, 
why don't you rather go to church? Meaning that uh, couldn't possibly, God couldn't possibly be in a pub. You, you need to go to a church in order to find him. And so in this uh, cosmogeographic way, we could look, okay, where is he? And he's more in some places and less in another because more places are evil and other places are less evil. But I don't want to look at that. I want to look at this in a more meaningful way in a disbelieving world. I'd like to tackle this more that God is not a mythological figure. And in order to, 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 to prove that, is I'd like to go about... In a moment, we'll go to the, to the Bible, but I'd like to expand our mind. I uh, just uh, recently, Kenan was saying that uh, we have God in a box, and sometimes all we do, we take him out of that box and just put him in a bigger box. Well, if we can achieve that today, that'll be great. If the box that we got, we brought God into this place, if we can leave it at the door and put him in a slightly bigger box, I think that we have gone and done something. So... We looked at the nearest star, and the nearest star is something like 32 billion light years away from us. Now, I cannot even imagine how far that is, because light travels at 300,000 kilometers a second, and then multiply that by an hour, and then multiply that by a, a, a day, and then uh, it's just the numbers, the zeros would not be enough to fill all that space that I have in there. So, that is a, that's what we know of the more, most distant star. And we can ask ourselves, well, is God there? Has he reached that place? Uh, I said I'll go to the scriptures, and I want to challenge you how we think about this mythological God, and you tell me if I'm wrong. So in Acts 7.56, Stephen is being stoned, and it says, look, he said, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. No problems with that, is it? Except for one. I have a problem with that. Most of us have got on a, on a plane. When you look at an aeroplane, can you see the face of the pilot? You know, 10,000, no, 30,000 feet above, 10, 10 kilometers. I can barely recognize someone at the top of the high rise in a city. I don't, even know, I don't even know whether the person is standing or, or, or sitting down. How far is this throne that Stephen saw? Was it, you know, just a 100 meters away, 30 meters away? Or could it be that this God is so big that he fills the universe that he can be as far as the distant star and we don't need a telescope that he would fill the sky, the whole throne and Jesus standing on the right hand side of the Father. Could that be possible? Or is it that he's so close that we'd actually visually see him? So either he's so big or he's so close. Isaiah, same thing. It says, in the year of King Uzziah, the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on his throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. So he sees God, not just over here, but he sees him very high, exalted, even higher. And just the, 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 the train of his robe filled the temple. God, there was no room for God in the temple. That's what he's saying. That's how big this God is. 
So, I believe that Abraham, I believe that Moses and Isaiah and David and Solomon and Apostle Paul understood this very clearly. But we sometimes struggle with that idea. See, Solomon wrote, But who is able to build a temple for him since the heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him? Who then am I to build a temple for him except a place to burn sacrifices and offerings before him? That's all I can do. I can just build a building that we will do some activities for him, but he cannot fit in there. It's just like this place here. So we are doing some activities here. That's all that we can do. We sing some songs. But to feel and to think that God can be confined to this place, I think that we have a very small mind. So this God transcends all that. He's able to transcend time. He's able to transcend uh, matter. And he's able to trans transcend space. In, uh, in the Psalm, Psalm 139, I'll just recite a few verses from there, and then I'll put the rest over there. And he starts saying, you have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You know when I go out and I when I lay down. You are familiar with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hang me in from before and from behind. And you lay your hand upon me. This knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty to attain. I cannot comprehend it. And then he goes to say, where can I go from your spirit? That's what we have there. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depth, you are there. You see, sometimes we see God that he's confined to space, to air. I've got a bottle here that is about three quarters full. And it's got water at the, the, the bottom part. Obviously, the top part is empty. And we feel that if God was to fill this bottle, he could only fill the air part, not the water part, because there's no room for him, yeah? Is that what he's saying? Where can I go from your spirit? This 32 billion light years away star, if I went that far, if I could remote myself and fly, David is saying, you know, even there you are. And uh, if I make my, my bed in the depth, in the depth of the sea, in the depth of the earth, you are there. Interesting that I just read a, um, a, an article that in China, there was uh, an earthquake in, in 2000 or 2001. 78 miners died there, and they just excavated the mine now. <laughs> 18 or 17 years later, this is just recent, and they found one man alive. 
after 17 years. I won't tell you the story, they probably will be making a movie on that, how he survived. Yes, he had enough rice and there were some rats there and there was uh, some water that was sprinkling and some phosphorus and he, he, wasn't, he wasn't in good health. But in the depth of that mind, God was there. That's what we have to understand. That he is able to be there at the same time as he's here and at the same time as he's in the sky. God is not like us. See, I have to abide by certain laws. The laws of gravity, the laws of, of uh, um, speed. And, and I, I have to because I'm confined to that. But God is not. So God can be there in the depth of the earth. Even if there is no oxygen, he will not choke. And if I was to rise on the wings and go far away, even there he's there, even there his hand will guide us. I like what, uh, what Apostle Paul said. I said that he understood this in Romans 8.11, the famous 8th chapter of Romans. The jewel on the crown of the Gospels. It says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your immortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. What is he saying? Interesting. If someone dies, I'm, I'm sure that all of us got someone, a loved one that has passed away. When that someone has passed away, that person is not there. But what that is saying, this scripture, that God is there. That God is not dead even in the grave. It's not that when Jesus comes, he'll be thinking, oh, I wonder where Dudok is buried, yeah? Oh, I think there was a stone there. You know, if someone removed the stone. No, he knows. Why? Because the Spirit of God is there. The day that I die, you will bury me. You will bury, I'll be a dead body. I won't be there. You can talk to me. I will not hear it. But the Spirit of the living God that is, he has given me will be there with me. God is not confined to space. We don't think that, oh, God has abandoned them. If someone has died in the ocean, case of Jonah, he wasn't dead. Was God there in the belly of the fish? Of course he was. This is the part that sometimes we, we, we just finite God and we say and define him. He put him in, we put him in a box. He cannot be there. Yeah, he's waiting. He's waiting above and he'll raise him from the dead. What stops him from being there? You know, David understood in the 23rd Psalm, he says, Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and staff will what? Comfort me. Thank you. Is he there in the grave? Is his spirit there? Maybe not David's. But God's is. Make no mistake. This is the God that we, that I believe in. God or his spirit is like a spring and we are like a spring. What do I mean by that? If I was able to shrink a spring, I give more space to God. So this is the only way, the only place where God respects space. Everything else, he is there. So water will not stop him. The earth will not stop him from being there. 
He can be anywhere and everywhere. And not that he can, he is everywhere and anywhere, all at the same time. Not just in a conscious way. See, one thing is knowledge. I know about Europe. I have been to Europe. I know what Europe is like, but I'm not there now. But I know I'm aware. So this, my, the spirit of awareness that I have, I know that uh, Merkel is in Germany, and I know a, a few other leaders. I don't want to go. I don't want to be political. And I know the borders, and and I know that uh, you know some places ring uh, Rakia, and other places ring Schnapps, and and so on. Well, I know that. I'm fully aware of that. Yeah, but I'm not there. And we think that God is aware, just like me. So God is aware, but He's not there. God is aware of a pub, but He's not in the pub. God is everywhere, whether we like it or not. But the only place that He gives us space is us. And so if we allow our spring, our own spring to take the fullness of our heart, there is no room for God. There will be no room for God. He will not invade your space. He will not invade your zone. This is the, the marvelous part that we don't understand about God. We think that God is a judgmental God. God is there with a stick to hit me. No, no, no. He's actually giving me space. He allows. He allows my He As much room as I give him, that's how much he will take. And we as human beings, I personally struggle to shrink that, that, that spring to give more room to the Holy Spirit, which is the spring, the spring of God, to take over my life. <clears throat> Let's continue with this uh, psalm. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like a day, for darkness is as light to you. Just came to my mind this morning, many, many summers ago, I went to a place in Hawthorne. There was a blind lady there. And I walked in. I didn't know that she was blind. She really fooled me. She had no stick. She knew exactly where she was going. And as I'm doing, taking the measurements, it's quite dark. And I said, excuse me, can I put the light on? And she goes to me, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize her handicap. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm handicapped now because I, I depend on light. She didn't depend on light. She knew exactly what she was doing. A couple of years ago, we went to Switzerland. Uh, the the, the Garvas there took us, uh, and Dennis and, and his family, took us to a restaurant that were all run by blind people. They even took your watches away. Anything that shines, anything that glows, your phones, they locked them in a locker. And we had to be guided into this room that was utter darkness, zero light. And the waiters were walking and not tripping. They knew exactly where I was. They put the plate in front of me. They even were able to set the cutlery, the drinks without spilling it. Why? Because they trained themselves. They did not depend on light. They didn't need light. And God does not need light. We do. I do. God doesn't need it. So God can dwell in utter darkness, and to Him it's like light. You know, there's, there's some insects that they see better at night than at the day. Why? They've, they've got special set of eyes. And it's not infrared light, and it's not infrared vision. It's not the goggles for night vision. It's just that God does not need those goggles. God can see, and to Him, day and night is just the same thing. To me, it's a problem, but not to Him. And that's what David is saying. He understood. You know, night will shine like a day. 
he didn't know about these infrared uh, 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 goggles. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So what David is saying that the womb of a woman, God is not standing on the outside. God is doing his work on the inside. So when we say, where is God? My question would be, I've got two questions for you. Number one is, where would you like him to be? The second question I'll ask in a minute. But God is there. So when someone is in the depth and when someone is in a confined space in a prison, or no matter where we are, that is not a deterrent to God. To us, it is a problem, not to God. That baby can be knitted together. I like it. You know, so I, I mentioned last uh, time that I, I challenged some youth in, in the United States because I said that I don't have a problem with evolution. I just have a problem with Darwin. And, of course, they you know, militant uh, one way of thinking. They say, well, how can you do that? I said, well, I can have a foot in both camps. I believe that God can create things just like that, or he can create them as babies. He can develop them. He can, he can allow anything. And so there he is, and this is a point that I want to bring across today, that it takes nine months. God is working there for nine months. Could he do it instantly? Of course he could. Could he not? For nine months, he's working. In how many, how many women around the world? One? Can you, can, can you understand the mythological way that we think that we adopt from the world about God? That God is just knows, but he's out there. He's some, somewhat not here, not present. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depth of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days were ordained for me. They were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. He's saying, you know, when I go to sleep, you're there. And when I wake up, you're there. And all the thoughts, all these things, I can, I can stretch my mind and keep stretching it and keep stretching it. And every thought could be like a grain of the sand of the sea. But that is not enough. That's how big and how great this God is. And the space that he takes. So when we look at, uh, I just want to take one more thought about where, where he is. But let's go to, 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 the, uh, to the experience of Moses. In Exodus 3.2, and he's pastoring there, his uh, father-in-law's uh, sheep, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? 
when God saw that, that he had gone over to look, God called him from there, from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Can you see that God can be in a flame? Can we see that there is not a place that he is not in? He's in water, in wind, in the flame. He is absolutely everywhere. Reminds me of the song of Michael W. Smith. Everywhere I go, I see you. Thank you. Because no matter where we look, he's there. So it's not that he's everywhere, but he's in a meaningful way there. Not just in an abstract way. I just want to do a comparison here. I want to draw something before I bring it to the final conclusion. And I say about the point number two that is still pending. And this is that the evil spirit can influence us. An evil spirit can um, oppress us and can possess us. And we have no control and no say. But with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can lead us can guide us. He can go in front of us. He can walk with us or behind us or both at the same time. He can influence us and He can fill us. So God can be here in this heart, right here. Would you like God to be in your heart? Let me go to question number two. Where is God? Where would you like Him to be? Question number two, where are you? I heard people say, God, leave me alone. I don't want to know anything about God. Well, no. The thing is that you are in his domain. You are in God's domain. That's where you are. So when we were evicted from the Garden of Eden, we were placed on this place where we are right now, and we are like refugees. I'm trying to use a word that is common to us in Australia, other places that would not understand it. But we are like refugees waiting for a visa, waiting for that passport, so we can go to the place where we want to go to, and where we should be, and the place where we were evicted from. So we are in a refugee camp. But this is God's camp as well. Where, where would you like to go from His presence? So this is not about God leave me alone. See, we talk, oh, our universe, our sun, our, it's, it's ours. Well, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's not ours. It's God's. And I'm here by His grace. Now, He could evict me. He could do anything to me. See, in my place, I have spiders. I have deadly spiders. Yeah, we have funnel uh, uh, web. And, yeah, and, and, and red backs and whatnot. I walk among them. Am I afraid of them? No. Am I cautious about it? Of course I am. You know, I won't go and play with them. Rowan does. I, I'm, not, I'm not that close to them. I could fumigate them. I could fumigate the place and then no end of spiders. But I, I'll allow them. I think that, okay, you know, they give color to the place. And, you know, wicked visitors say, oh, you know, that's a spider there. And, oh, whoa, aren't you afraid? You know, a bit of color to, to your way of living. But God is the same thing with us. He, he could just say, you know, that's it, you're gone, you're over, you're out of my domain. But he allows us to be in his domain to give us a chance to realize how much we need him and that we should be filled with him. He wants us. It's just that our spring sometimes does not allow it. So where is God? God is where he should be. In his place, he's at home. This is his home. The visitors is us. 
Yeah, how big is his home? Well, my mind cannot stretch how far it goes. Uh, my imagination cannot stretch. My eyes cannot see that far. But I am in his home. It's not that I can keep God out. The only thing that I can keep him out from is from my heart. My question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you struggling with his strength? Are you allowing him to, to have his way? Have thy own way, Lord. Have thy own way. Or you think that that's perhaps is too hard. In this quest about who God is, where God is, we need to ask ourselves, and Nathan asked me the other day, he says, you should speak about who we are. And I said to him, yeah, we will. <laughs> we will talk about that. But today the question is, where are you? We know where God is, but where are you? And where would you like to be? Not where, God, where would you like God to be, but where would you like to be? God is calling you all the time. He is not sending, I'll repeat this every time during this series. He is not sending you to hell. You are in hell and he's trying to get you out of there. That's how much he loves you. That's why he's allowed all this. That's why the suffering of Jesus. That's why the cross. We are in hell and he's trying to get us out of hell. It's not that we are not in hell and he wants to send us to hell. Just want to leave you with that thought. May the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the greatness. We want to thank you for your presence. We want to thank you that nothing is hidden from you, that you know all things because you're there, because you're there present. And that brings us closer to your mercy, closer to your love, closer to your patience, to your forgiveness. Because knowing and seeing everything and being present there, we realize that if you were a different God, you would have wiped us away. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for, for being there for us. We ask you that we would give you more room. We ask you that our spring would become smaller in our hearts and your spring a little bit bigger. Forgive us where we fail and have mercy on us. For we ask and we thank you this in Jesus' name. Amen.